the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. You see, friend, Jesus is not just our friend. Jesus is not just our Savior. In the Scriptures, Jesus is our King. He is the King of Kings. Welcome to Reaching Your Heart. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be here in just a moment with today's message. You know, here at Reaching Your Heart, we believe that God answers prayer. If you need prayer, please call us today at 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Someone is here now to take your prayer request. Today's Reaching Your Heart with Pastor Michael Oxentenko is entitled, King of Kings. That's King of Kings, and we hope that you find that you enjoy this broadcast. You can find it online at reachingyourheart.com if you miss any portion of this message. Again, King of Kings. And here is our pastor teacher, Michael Oxentenko. Dear Father God, we want to live in a land called heaven, knowing that one day heaven will be here on earth. So grant us the grace of God to live for Jesus, to love him, to be found in him, to have no righteousness of our own based on law, but to love the law because the law is the lawgiver, our lovely Savior, Jesus Christ, in his name, amen. The book of Judges begins with the promised land and the people of God who were well able to take it for God but who proved by their lack of faith, their unwilling spirit, that they were not worthy of God's grace in that sense. And so really, all that great generation that brought them into the promised land was followed by generations that failed to take advantage of that opportunity. And so the angel of the Lord, the preexistent Christ, the eternal Son of God, came from Gilgal to Bochim, and he pronounced judgment at the place that is called in Hebrew weeping. And thus the sad era of the judges began. God raised up one judge after another to save Israel from their enemies. But in the end, the judges couldn't save the nation that would not be delivered from its own failure of character, its own lack of spiritual interest, that failed to know God and follow his law. And so the nation was in a state of crises during the days of the judges. The book of Judges ends with a statement that is a prophetic plea for a king. Take your Bibles, turn to Judges 21, verse 25. The Bible says, In those days there was no king in Israel. I mean, the book of Judges ends with this horrific crime against a woman and a war that ensued in which thousands of people died, total chaos in the nation. And thus we have the whole point of the book as the last line of the book. In those days there was no king in Israel. Every man did what was right in his own eyes. You know, that's the kind of world we live in today. We live in a world that is governed by the principle of moral relativism. People do not want to be confronted by the authority of the Word of God in their life. They want to determine what God will do for them. And if they can't get it that way, they'll be their own God. Right and wrong are defined these days by what people want instead of what is right and what God requires. They want the truth to be shaped around what they want instead of surrendering to what God has declared in His Word. And I'm going to tell you right now as a preacher of the Word of God... 
I will not surrender the authority of the Bible, what is right and wrong, to get along as a preacher in the pulpit. I would rather not be a preacher than do that. Do you hear me? Because I believe we're living in a day in which there's a crisis of authority, and the Bible that we hold in our hand is the word of the living God. So what is right is all too often defined as desire and ambition. What do I want? That's what's right for me. The evangelical thinker Frank Turek, who's also a radio host, once wrote that if there is not objective morality, then love is no better than murder. I mean, what makes the two different if you can't say that something is right because of the Word of God? And that's the way it is in these days. That's the way it was in the days of the judges. So the prophet wrote it down that every man did what was right in his own eyes because there was no king in those days. Friends, every life out of control needs a king. Every life that is struggling for consistency, for meaning, needs a king. The human heart was not made to rule itself. It was made for a king. And every heart bent and broken because of sin can only be mended by the authority of a king. And everyone who suffers illness in the end can only be healed because of a king's decree. And every mind that wants to exert its own will at the expense of others must surrender to the authority of a king. You see, friend, Jesus is not just our friend. Jesus is not just our Savior. In the Scriptures, Jesus is our King. He is the King of kings. Philosopher kings who exalt their reason need a king of kings that is right and righteous. When reason fails, when theology is no good, when our best-led efforts fail, we need Jesus to lead us as our king. Now, God told Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel 2.37 that he was king of kings. Now, I found that very interesting for a prophet to turn to a king and say, Oh, you, king of kings, the God of heaven has done such and such. And so Daniel recognized that God places kings on earth, but he also recognized that no king is king along here. Turn to Daniel 2.21. Daniel said to Nebuchadnezzar, Blessed be the name of God forever. Now, whenever you read that in your Bible, the name of God, you should take to mind the, the fact that when the Bible says the name of God, it speaks of his character and his law. It is an affirmation of who he is. In fact, the name of God and the law of God are the same thing in the Scriptures. So, blessed be the name of God means his moral character, his Ten Commandment law, his name Yahweh. Forever and ever to whom belong wisdom and might. Verse 21, he changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have Understanding, He reveals deep and mysterious things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. You see, God has great credentials to be our God. He is all wise. He's all knowing. He's all powerful. He governs the course of human history. There's no political leader that he does not allow. And he takes them down when it is time. So in the days of Napoleon Bonaparte, when he wanted to be the king of the world, a lone traveler found an inscription amid the ruins in the desert. And the poet Percy Shelley wrote these words about it. In fact, he got the name of Ramesses wrong. He called him Ozymandias, and that's the name of the poem. It goes like this. I met a traveler from an antique land who said, Two vast and trunkless legs of stone stand in the desert. Near them on the sand have sunk a shattered visage lies whose frown and wrinkled lip and sneer of cold command Tell what its sculptor well those passions read, which yet survives stamped on these lifeless things. 
the hand that mocked them and the heart that fed. And on the pedestal, these words appear. My name is Ozymandias, king of kings. Look on my works, ye mighty in despair. Nothing beside remains. Round the decay of that colossal wreck, boundless and bare, the lone and level sands stretch far away. It's an amazing poem. You see, it doesn't matter how mighty you think you are. It doesn't matter how strong you believe you can be. Your kingdom can be turned to sand over time. And so no king of kings here lasts forever. Nebuchadnezzar had a dream of a metallic man that was made of four metals that represents the world kingdom order from Daniel's day down to our day. And Daniel told King Nebuchadnezzar, he said, You, O king, you are this head of gold that you saw in your dream. But after you, something's going to happen. He says, you know, after you, another kingdom will arise inferior to you, a kingdom of silver, Medo-Persia, a third kingdom of bronze, Greece, and then the great iron monarchy of Rome, the strongest of them all, will be the fourth world empire. But even Rome would decline and become the divided kingdom of Europe, symbolized by the ten toes on the image's feet, which brings us down to the modern era. And then the king saw a stone kingdom cut out of a mountain by no human hand at the end of the Middle Ages. And it flew through space at breakneck speed. It collided with the feet of the image where you worship the image at the time of the end. It pulverized the kingdoms of the earth. And in its place, a mighty mountain grew. And thus, the kingdom of God took the place of the image. Nebuchadnezzar saw that. Daniel explained it. In Daniel 2.44, Daniel made this statement. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed, nor shall its sovereignty be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. It's amazing how we can read a verse in the Bible and miss its vital importance. Does anybody here know when the historical monarchies faded from the scene? We don't have them in Europe, do we? Do we have them in Europe? Yes or no? We don't. The historical monarchies vanish at the end of World War I. We enter the era of socialist states. We enter the era of dictators, but not the hereditary monarchies. Four great ruling families in Europe, the Hohenzollerns, the Habsburgs, the Romanovs, the Ottoman Turks, those kingdoms came down, and with them the hereditary monarchial reigns. The Bible is very specific in the days of those kings before the end of the era of kings. God in heaven would set up a kingdom. And this is really an allusion to the pre-advent investigative judgment that occurred in the 1800s at the end of the 2300 years of Daniel 8:14, just before the collapse of the monarchies in World War I. So God's kingdom, Daniel's clear, will one day break the kingdoms of the earth because God's kingdom is stronger than gold, silver, bronze, and iron. Now think about it. We rely on gold for comfort, don't we? Our IRA is packed with the equivalent of gold and silver. Bronze, the stuff that makes our life comfortable. Iron, our cars, and so on. I mean, we're looking at the stuff of civilization here. And God is saying is that you can't depend on that. You have to depend on something other than an image. And so the stone, in contrast to the image, represents Jesus. He is the stone kingdom, the stone king. In the Aramaic, the word for son is ben. The word for stone is eben. It's a wordplay. He's the stone son kingdom. And when Nebuchadnezzar heard Daniel explain the meaning of the dream to him, he realized 
that he's not the king of kings. There's really only one king of kings, and that's God. Look at Daniel 2.47. The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of lords and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Friend, when your life is out of control, you need to know in your heart that God is king of kings. I mean, when you can't put it together... There has to be an authority greater than you that holds your life intact. And Nebuchadnezzar had a hard time learning that. The next chapter, he defies God with a golden image. In the following chapter of Daniel, finally, he's walking on the palace of his house, boasting about how awesome he is. Have you ever done that? No? Have you ever said, man, I did a good job? Have you ever done that? Have you ever looked in the mirror as a young person and when I was a young person, I took some grease and put it on my head to be like the fawns in Happy Days. I used to watch TV as a kid. I wasn't a Christian, but, you know, he was the epitome of cool on television. He'd have his pants go out with his thumbs up, and he would say, I'm the fawns, cool. And it stuck in my head. And so as a young person, when I was struggling with some self-esteem issues, because every young person does, I took some grease and slicked back my head real good, you know? I went to school one day. I got this leather jacket that was really vinyl. I stuffed it with three sweaters so I looked like I was strong, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. I was really a skinny kid. And I walked with my padded clothes into school, and I, I did this, really. It was high school. I mean, believe it or not, it was odd. And I rolled back the grease on my hair, and I went to school, and then I tried something I'd never done because I'm really an academic type. This is out of character with me. I put my feet on the other desk and leaned back like the fawns looking at the teacher. She was not impressed. It was the last day I ever did that. I'm not anything like that. You know, we try to be great. We do crazy things at times to get the attention we think we deserve. And so Nebuchadnezzar, he's conquered his enemies. He's walking on the palace of his house. And he says, is this not great Babylon that I have built? And the problem is the word I. God made him king. He took the credit to himself. And so God drove him out from his kingdom as a madman, living in the field for seven years, eating grass like an ox. And the purpose was to teach him that man does not live by his own greatness, but he must live by the bounties of God. And when his reason finally returned to him, when his madness left him, because he was on his knees for seven years. You see, friend... There are times in our life when madness overtakes us. There's times when we are so certain we're in control of our life that God knocks us down so we live on our knees for a while, like Nebuchadnezzar did. And as we live on our knees, we learn to trust God. And thus his reason returned to him. The most reasonable decision you can make in your life is to turn to God on your knees and discover that God is king of kings and you are not. So in the end, every person in the world will either worship the idol that is the world kingdom order or the stone that is the Son of God because no human heart can live without a king. We need the authority of God in our life. Nebuchadnezzar came to reason. He stood upon his feet and he blessed the God of heaven as king. Every person here must choose a king. When Jesus comes at the end of the age in Revelation 19... He is coming to crush the nations of the earth with a rod of iron because Jesus is the stone kingdom of Daniel too. His iron rod is stronger than anything the image has to offer and his kingdom will take the place of the world. Revelation 19, 15. Open your Bibles. Let's continue together. 
from his mouth, that's Jesus' mouth, issues as he's sitting on this white horse coming prophetically as a general to conquer the world. From his mouth issues a sharp sword with which to smite the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And that's a picture of Jesus we don't often see in the New Testament because Jesus came as a suffering servant, but at the end he comes as king, as a mighty general, as a warrior to save his people. Look at verse 16. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name inscribed, and here it is, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Now, Nebuchadnezzar said correctly, your God is a King of Kings. Pastor Michael Oxentenko will be back in just a moment. Reaching Your Heart is a listener-funded program. We step out in faith to purchase airtime on this station because we believe God is working through this radio ministry to touch tens of thousands of lives. Each of our messages is prayed over, biblical messages of hope and Bible truth. To continue, we need your support. We do not have a large ministry fundraising machine. We operate totally by faith. Call our toll-free number to make your contribution of any size today. That number is 888-244-HOPE. That's 888-244-4673. Here now, once again, Pastor Michael Oxentenko. You know, people who like to believe that Jesus is not God have a problem here. God is King of Kings in the book of Daniel. Jesus is King of Kings in the book of Revelation. That means Jesus is God. That's the simplest way you can put the connection together. Now, why is it important for Jesus to be God? Because, friend, ultimately, it takes Godlike kingdom authority to get us from this world to the next. We can't save ourselves without the authority of God, who is King of Kings. This morning... I appeal to you, dear heart, I appeal to you, everyone here, to come to Jesus who is King of Kings. That is my appeal of the morning. Do not allow yourself to stay away from the person of Jesus. I ask the personal question to you as I ask it to myself sincerely. Is Jesus Christ your King of Kings? Is that where he stands in your life? Or is he someone that you use to get what you want? Who rules, I ask you, on the throne of your heart? Is Jesus King of Kings? Who informs your ideas and guides your spirit in the night? Is Jesus King of Kings? Who is the master of your life and who controls your habits and desires and the light? Who is your raison d'etre for existence? Is Jesus King of Kings? Who is King in your life? Have you asked yourself that question lately? You see, Jesus is coming as King of Kings. My father was named Leroy, and I did a word study on his name shortly after I met him. I discovered that his name means the king. It's French, Leroy, for the king. He was a religious man. He came into this church as a young man. He got involved in a perfectionistic theology that was not centered on the cross of Jesus Christ. He wanted so bad to be perfect enough to prove himself to God so he could live in that final generation and make it to the end. And the more he tried, the more he put his efforts on himself, the more his life fell apart, his commitments collapsed, 
In fact, he became a Christian. I learned it after I left the church. I found a letter he had written. He wanted to join the church. I had no idea that I had become the senior pastor in a place where my father had come into the church. My life had come circle in that one way. My dad's life descended into a series of failures. He left my mom for another woman. He ended up having other children outside of our family, and we were left bereft. And I later learned, as he tried to prove himself to God, so God would love him enough to save him, he found out he couldn't prove himself to God. As he tried to bridge the gap between his sin, the more sin he felt in his life, till finally his health cracked. He got cancer. He was treated for that cancer. The medication destroyed his liver and he started down a road in which he was dying as a young man i came into his hospital room i was 15 years of age he was praying before he died as a broken man he had found jesus he had said lord i can't save myself i can't forgive myself i can't atone for myself and so he was praying lord save me and when he prayed that prayer is when god began to order his life for real And I walked into his hospital room miraculously. I didn't know where he was alive on the face of earth. And as I came into his room at the age of 15, arriving at a boarding school where he was in the hospital next to it, I was 15, he was 44. He looked like he was 90 years old. And my father, who was named the king, Leroy, had discovered he's not in charge of anything in his life. And then he told me, As I learned to know him for two months of his life, he said, I learned that Jesus is king. And in the mercy of God, I find my strength. Friend, I don't know about you. There are times in my life when I like to try to prove myself. I'm a type A personality. Anybody here a type A personality? I work from morning to night. I don't need somebody encouraging me to work hard. I work hard. And I work late into the night if I have to to get something done. We got our final request for payment for this building and we're not quite ready to do that so i was up till 4 a.m thursday working on documents to make sure that this is done right i believe in doing things right now the problem with people like me is that when you're a type a personality you can put all of your trust in your accomplishments are you with me but guess what that means to god it means nothing what really matters is god's authority and rule in our life And so my father, whose name is the king, Leroy, he learned that grace is not a word, but a person on the cross. It's not what you prove to God. It's what God has proved to you. He learned that God's love is a royal love, and we receive his love the most when we realize that we don't deserve it in the least. And thus grace abounds, and the strength of God abounds in our life. And so my father, on bended knee and broken health, he learned the lesson that God is king and a loving king at that. The Bible says that God has a sense of humor. Have you ever read about that in the Bible, Psalms 2? Our God laughs, but not slapstick comedy. He sits on his royal throne. He observes the machinations of men, of nations, and the like, and as they strive to rid themselves of his rule. And he laughs at the world because the world cannot rule the world. Psalms 2, verse 1. Let's follow this psalm together. Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The question is asked. Verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against. The key word is against. They are opposing something. What is that? Against the Lord and his anointed. Now that's an amazing statement. The Lord and his anointed. The Hebrew word for anointed is Messiah. Here is the Lord, our God, and his Messiah. And they are striving to overthrow them. 
goes on to say, let us burst their bonds asunder and cast their cords from us. That is the problem with the image. That's the problem with the world kingdom system. It will have none of the rule of God in its life. The world does not want God to rule. The world wants to rule the world, but this can never be in the end. So what does God do when he sees the best laid plans of mice and men rise up in arrogance against him? The Bible says he laughs. Imagine God on his throne just laughing at people who think that they can do away with God. That's what the Bible says he does. Friends, we live in a world that is so sure it can get rid of God that people are militant about it. Communism in the last century killed over 100 million people. Wrap your head around that. Communism is a philosophy of atheism born out of materialism. The French Revolution is the milieu of it. We have an entire chapter in the book of Revelation that condemns the philosophy that gave rise to communism. It's Revelation chapter 11. If you want to read about it in a book, Great Controversy, the chapter entitled The French Revolution, communism is not a good thing killed 100 million people, and many of them Christians, in the last century. So how does God respond to a world that says, push God out? Well, unfortunately, we need to leave it there for the first portion of King of Kings. Today's Reaching Your Heart. You can find this message online in its entirety without interruption at reachingyourheart.com. And we invite you to go there now if you would like, or just join us again the next time we get together. And thank you so much for listening today to Reaching Your Heart. Again, today's message was entitled King of Kings. Are you fascinated by the prophecies of Revelation? Have you wished that you could understand prophecy better? Do the symbols of the Bible's last book baffle you? God's last altar call is just the book you need. Mark Finley clearly explains the events soon to unfold in this world. Be sure to call today for your copy. It's yours for a donation of any size. Thank you for your generosity. Thank you for listening. Your donations keep this ministry on the air. 855-888-4673 is the telephone number to call. 855-888-4673. 888-4673 or reachingyourheart.com Thanks for listening today. And as always, we do pray that God is reaching your heart.